Welcome to this episode of Trades Planning. We're coming to you live from Rob's daughter's bedroom. Uh, hold, hold on, not not comfortable with the daughter's bedroom reference. It's uh, are, Trades Planning Studios. Are we not in your daughter's bedroom? That's not go- that's not going the podcast. <laughs> My name's Artie. Together with my co-host Rob, we want to welcome you to the Tradesplaining Podcast. Tradesplaining is a bi-monthly look at current events, trade, and politics as seen through the eyes of two American expats living in that expatopia known as Geneva, Switzerland. We know you're all having these conversations amongst yourselves already, but here's an idea. Let us have the conversation for you and with you. We know many people are already talking about big things like the future of the WTO, but we want to ask a different question. Does it even matter? And if so, how? Joining us on each episode on this journey of cultural exploration will be an eclectic mix of interview guests ranging from fellow expats, leaders in their field, and people who just really, really, really want to plug their upcoming books. And in between advertisements for coffee enemas and cryptocurrencies, they'll provide insights into their respective fields and views on where we go from here. So buckle up and get ready to join us on Tradesplaining. And remember to tell your friends. Welcome, everyone, once again to Tradesplaining. This marks our second episode. Warm welcome to those of you who've just listened to the first. That means you probably liked it, as well as to those new subscribers. Well, we made it past one episode. I guess it's all smooth sailing from here. We can hire an intern who we won't pay, a production designer, an audio engineer. Yeah, that's all you so far. If you keep doing that, I think we're going to be fine. If more of the work comes to me, we're... Anyway, well, I, I think maybe we'll whole, take that offline. Point being, if this whole development thing doesn't work out for me, I think I've got a future in audio production. Okay, we, we've already gone past the, the whole sports betting thing. That was a big I'm thing. A man of, I'm a man of many talents. Yeah, millennials do change their minds all the time. But Creative. anyway, we're moving on. We've got a great episode for you today, I think, packed full of current events. There's an interview with one very interesting trade economist. Yes, those do exist, already. <laughs> That's right, everybody. We're going to look at updates from the U.S. presidential election, the devastating and tragic news outside of Lebanon, as well as the latest on the international organization front. And as Rob mentioned, don't miss our interview with Geneva's haircut king, Jan Hoffman of UNCTAD, later on. Let's get into it before you get tired and quit, you lazy millennial. I'm just going to let you have that one. Right. So, where to begin, Rob? How about we start with, again, something that's close to our hearts, news outside of the U.S.? Kamala Harris, if you haven't been listening, has been named Joe Biden's vice presidential pick. Even Fox News carried that one already, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Just checking because you're really into the local news thing, so I wanted to make sure that... um, Yeah, that's the point. Yeah, the, the Geneva paper did carry that one. Okay, that's good. Well, I think it's interesting, not only because she is the first Asian person of color, female vice presidential ticket member, I think it's interesting from a trade perspective, because now not only do the US voters have a relatively clear choice on a domestic level, 
But in terms of foreign policy and trade policy, I think the contrast is, is quite stark. So I think that also obviously has ramifications not only for U.S. voters domestically, but for people living abroad, not only expats, but people living all over the world, because these presidential elections and as we've seen the last four years, changes in foreign policy do have um, effects on the way we, we live our lives, the way trade happens, the way all of these things work. So I think when you look at the incumbent president, I think you already know what you're getting in terms of policies towards trade more broadly, desire to pull out of the WHO recently. And I think with the Harris and Biden selection, you see that this is a bit more of a return to politics as we've known them at least for the past, you know, 30 to 50 years. Uh, at least when it comes to the I'm U.S. Sure, yeah, Artie, I'm not sure we know that. I'm not sure we know much about what they want to do on trade. They've focused on a lot of we're not Trump, number one. They have brought a lot of people under the tent who have different views on trade, some of whom are very skeptical. They've talked about improving uh, the fortunes of U.S. manufacturing. They've talked about going to bat for the American workers. Some of those things I'm interested to hear a little more about in terms of how those would work in practice. Do you know? Do you see that already, or is that something you think will come later? Well, before I was rudely interrupted, what I had wanted to say in finishing my thought, <laughs> Rob, that... This is only the second one, by the way. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, it's only the second interruption. We've only... I mean, the second episode. Four minutes into the second episode, but it's fine. All right. It's okay. Yeah, it's a work in progress. Right. Anyway. Please. Anyway. It's your segment. It's our segment, or it's my segment, unless it tanks. Right now, it's, it is tanking, what <laughs> tanking looks like. So let's get back to... Uh, anyway. You're right, Rob. It's actually interesting. So they have been domestically at least trying to draw a very clear distinction by saying, we are not Trump. Now, what that means is a different story. I think when you're looking at trade more specifically and, and their views on trade, Harris has said some interesting things. And more generally speaking, what it means is I, I think you're going to... They're still going to focus on China as a sort of competitor, but you'll see more of a competition rather than confrontation with China in the sense that it won't be brusque or or direct, directly confrontational, right? So Harris has said quite a bit about how they need to bring manufacturing jobs back to the U.S. Uh, they should still be tough on China, however, which has been clear in their statements. But they've also said, for example, when this is the big contrast to Trump, and when I talk about a return to normalcy or a return to the status quo as we knew it, it's in working with their quote-unquote allies on issues, including China. So Harris has said, for example, that the U.S. needs to work with their allies to address China in terms of the threat, quote-unquote, that it presents to our economy, the threat it presents to American workers and American industries. So in that sense, it's, it's actually interesting. You're seeing we're a Biden to win the U.S. presidential election in November, I think at least going by the statements, and we know, you know, things can change between now and, and administrations are in office. But what you're seeing is the remnants of Trumpism won't necessarily be washed away, but you'll have bits and pieces of it. So I think the Trump, the election of Trump has registered that there is an issue that needs to be addressed. And on the face of it, they are speaking to these issues at the very least. Now, whether they act on them is a different story. But I think you're going to see the case, you know, they will be more of adversarial sort of crouch against China, might not be to the extent that the Trump administration has has shown. But in that sense, politics as usual is, is over and it's changed. I think it'll be also interesting to see whether U.S. leadership has finally ebbed, you know. So Trump, the Trump administration has decided to negotiate from a different type of position, not to try to model uh, global leadership, but instead to take an America first position, which could be seen as a, a way of saying, we don't believe we should be in that position of trying to make 
the systems work better, trying to create a, an environment that works better. I think a Biden and a Kamala Harris would want to be in that leadership position, but are they really willing to do what it takes to animate this kind of discussion? And are the allies really willing to come back to that kind of uh, situation? So more to come uh, for sure on that. Yeah, moving on. International organizations have been in the news recently. We touched on this briefly in the first episode, but we had mentioned how, well, I had to actually teach you who the WHO was. Who? The WHO, the World Health Organization. We've been through this shtick before. I don't love that joke. Gonna, I'm not sure I if really, they're going to laugh I really again. do love that joke. Actually, yeah. Anyway, moving on. Yeah. I digress because of you. I digress, but we're digressing. Let's not digress. Move on. I get that. I, I, do, I agree with the moving on. I'm with you. Trump has announced that the U.S. Is that really us moving on? Would be terminating its relationship with the World Health Organization. Now, building on from this previous point, I think it's very unlikely that we're Biden to win, that you would still see the same sort of approach to international organizations as you would with Trump. I don't know what you think about that. Do you think, for example, I think Biden has said that he would stay into the, an organization like WHO on his first day. I think this would be a very visible part of the we're not Trump, whether they're in agreement with this kind of policy or not. And I do think this would be seen as something under the radar for most even Americans to say we want to be part of an organization like that. And a dip, much different case could be made for what the value is. They, they guide... Uh, global health policy. They guide a lot of the decisions that U.S. financials aligns with. So I I don't think it's a close call. That having been said, again, what what will the implications be? This is an open question. We know an election's coming. We don't know what the result will be. That was very well put together. Did you write that before you said all that? No, Artie. That's my job is to talk about things that I really have a very superficial understanding of. In a way with, that sounds convincing. If you say it with confidence, people will believe you. This is one of the lessons we're trying to teach you. For example, the, the sky is green. In many cases, it can be green. I think what's important is we're agreeing on the basic principle. The sky, color, these are, these are critical pieces that we need to be both aware of. And then some of the details, green, blue, pink on some days... The, this is more we leave up to our teams. That's I, middle management, uh, Artie. If you do want to get there, I can show you. I switched off after I agree. Fantastic. Anyway, moving on. We digress. So now we're going to come to a bit of sad news, actually. Most people have seen the explosion in Beirut. And I think the question everybody's asking is, you know, what now? I think its economy and by extension its politics is already sort of on the on the brink or at a at a precipice, but now the fact that the lifeblood of its economy and, and trade has been destroyed, it's really a question of what's what what comes next. How what can the international community do? I think all of this highlights both the importance of commerce and trade to countries, as well as the inherent fragility. I think in in a lot of our supply chains and other systems. So whether it's a food system or other infrastructure, electricity, things like that. And one of the questions I have again is. What do we do now? What can be done to prevent this in the future, but also what can be done now to address this sort of very acute issue? So, Artie, very good points. I think it's also interesting time. 2020 has put 
leadership in many countries under a lot of pressure. So could this mean we're going to have a durable change in the way politics works in a place like Lebanon, which has been under so much pressure, so many interests at play, international interests, local interests. And we'll see that ripple across different parts of the world. We see it's uh, created a very different dynamic in the U.S., as we talked about, in Western Europe, where we're currently situated. It's putting a lot of pressure on, let's say, non-democratic kinds of regimes. So this is some place we wouldn't have expected to see uh, dynamic movement. So this is, this is I think, going to be something we'll talk more about. It's funny you said that, Rob. That's actually a perfect opportunity now to bring in somebody who knows a thing or two about trade, supply chains, and actually maritime shipping. He also knows a bit about haircuts. Welcome, everybody. We'd like to welcome Jan Hoffman to the interview. No relation to David Hasselhoff. Jan is actually the chief of the trade logistics branch here in Geneva at UNCTAD. That's the UN Conference on Trade and Development. Jan joined UNCTAD in 2003 and became chief of the organization's trade logistics branch in 2016. Jan co-edits the quarterly transport and trade facilitation newsletter and also worked part-time for the family tramp shipping business Hoffman Shipping based in Hornburg, Germany. Jan's studied in Germany, the UK, and Spain and holds a doctorate degree in economics from the University of Hamburg. So Jan, welcome to the podcast. You have the distinct honor of being the second uh, official interview guest on the Tradesplaining podcast and we want to thank you for taking the dive. So maybe tell us a little bit about how you got started. Thanks a lot. A great initiative. You already gave some general direction. Maybe one should say I'm German, but I'm nice. I'm originally from a little village near Buxtehude. People in Germany say that doesn't exist, but yes, it does exist. And working in the United Nations for the most, I really believe shipping is the most international of all business. It's a privilege right, to work in Geneva on this topic. Jan, that's quite a long list of accomplishments you have. Have you ever been a pirate in addition to everything else? <laughs> well, working for Hoffman Shipping, you have access to the duty-free spirits, so we could get our vodka far cheaper than the dock workers. And I still remember that I sold a bottle of vodka to the Finnish dock worker in Turku for 100 Finnmarks, which I myself had bought for 20 Finnmarks. And I felt really bad afterwards that you can say even 30 years later, I'm, it's still my conscience, but thanks for asking. So Jan, that's uh, it's obviously shocking. I mean, we will continue with the interview, but this is noted. I wanted to take you to the state of maritime shipping. COVID has affected supply chains across the world. A lot of us are wondering, have they shown resilience? Have they been broken? Will they have to be remade? Tell us about how that's affected maritime shipping in particular, and how is it playing out? Will it be changed permanently? So first of all, of course, the crisis has an impact on shipping. And we have really interesting data that can show which countries were affected first, also which segment. You can see, for example, those shipping segments that transport passengers affected stronger and earlier and are now slowly coming back. Then containers went down quite early and are now coming back. So there's obviously an impact on shipping due to the reduced demand. No? But then shipping is part of the supply. And so the second point is shipping is needed to overcome the crisis. And a lot of our work actually also has to do with making this help that we can continue to trade, but at the same time protect the seafarers, the dock workers and the population. Is it really insane for people to take a cruise right now? I can't believe people are still getting on cruise ships. What's your recommendation there? Which deck should I, should I cruise on? 
I mean, very honestly, personally, I, I couldn't imagine being on a cruise ship. For, for me, having worked as a seafarer, having done long sailing trips and, and seeing shipping as something real, when I see these big cruise ships, and I know people who've done it, I've seen videos, and I, I get a goose skin when I see what's happening on these cruise ships. I find it so artificial. But of course, for certain island states in particular, this is an important business. So the challenge is rather, how can I make sure that more of that business and the benefits actually stays in the country? And I don't want to get across as anti-cruise, but it's not something I could envisage for myself personally. You talk about the vulnerability. We've seen a couple of cases where shipping has been interrupted. Beirut is a very sad example. Mauritius, even Yemen, there's there's a disaster about to happen or in the process of happening in slow motion. What what do you, what do you see here? How do we kind of uh, mitigate these these types of risks? It's certainly important to reduce the dependency on single ports, on single nodes in the network. In Europe, the most important port for German cargo is Rotterdam in the Netherlands. The most important port for Polish cargo is actually Hamburg. The most important port for Norwegian cargo is Gothenburg in Sweden. The most important port for French cargo is Antwerp in Belgium. So in Europe, you really have functioning trade facilitation, transit facilitation, and common transport market, which makes the whole system more resilient. If one port in Europe better close down, well, we go through other ports. In most developing countries, unfortunately, it is still very much my own country's ports are for my own trade only. And you just have to be careful to make your own port as resilient as possible. Maybe have a second port, maybe have also have some airport. But but yes, it is definitely a warning shot again what happened in Beirut or what's happening in other countries to ensure that the ports are made resilient, also resilient against climate change, against more volatile weather patterns. Do you think any of this is going to cause shortening of value chains? So we hear about this nearshoring, taking complications out of supply chains, in some cases because of these interruptions. We remember the pirates off of the Somali coast and others. Do you see a shortening of value chains coming that may affect some of these countries? Many people say so. I've seen some studies that indicate for some segments it may be happening. But I think overall the the point is not so much to trade less or have more nearshoring or near close by, but it's more the aim to diversify. So if I'm a commercial producer of something or a country, I better diversify. There was a story, I'm a bit of a hobby photographer, and uh, there was a time when there were, was flooding in Bangkok. And all of a sudden, Nikon could not deliver their cameras because one specific component was only made in Bangkok. So that type of system needs to be more diversified and resilient. But I personally now, I don't think we should aim at less trade, but have resilient logistic systems and diversify in this sourcing. And we've learned this past year that trade wars are easy to win. So that's... Uh, uh, sorry, let me check my acoustics again. You were saying... No, the whole trade war thing, it wasn't among your initial question, but it is certainly something we, for shipping, which we have also been asked to analyze. The trade wars are bad on, on three accounts. First, Obviously, if you have more protectionism and higher barriers, you trade less. So the total size of the pie for shipping goods is smaller. But the other thing is that it is the additional uncertainty is bad for investment. 
So if I want to invest in a long-term port project and I have uncertainty, my required return on investment goes up. So the investment goes down. The, the worst long-term effect of what is happening is the weakened multilateral system. At UNCTAD, we do highlight the need for policy space for the smaller, for the weaker, for the more vulnerable countries. But all this has to be based on an overall functioning rules-based system, which is especially important to make sure that also the big players play by the rules. So, yeah, the, the trade was certainly bad news also for shipping and maritime transport. So are tariffs bad? Well, it's not such a straightforward question. The area I work on is the logistics. It's the efficiency of trade. It's, it's customs automation. It's port reform. It's shipping networks. It doesn't really have to do with higher or lower tariffs. And I, I do like reading Dan Roderick. And I really honestly don't have a view about the level of liberalization or opening or not, or whether tariffs are good or bad as such. It's not my topic. That is the perfect answer. <laughs> I did learn a little bit of diplomacy over those last 25 years. <laughs> Excellent. This is why we have people like you on the show. You raise an interesting point. What do you mean when you talk about, you know, you're not really a tariffs guy? I guess maybe there's a time to talk about the difference between trade policy and trade facilitation itself. Could you give us a quick overview of what you mean when you say something like that? Yeah, trade was, the, um, of course, it's largely about terrorists, but it's also about quotas, about simply yeah, yeah, wanting to reduce certain imports. It's this underlying idea, imports are bad, exports are good. And that, I believe, we have all learned and understood in microeconomics 101. This is, this is wrong. It's not that imports are bad, exports are good. So in that sense, I, I don't think that in, in general, lower tariffs, more open trade leads to a bigger pie. I even though I'm not a tariff specialist. Now, what does happen, and this is beyond my area specialization, but what does happen, the moment you trade more, you liberalize, in order to gain $20 in additional benefit, you may have to lose 19 somewhere else. So the size of the pie grows by a net effect of $1, or one person loses 19, another group gains 20. Now, losing 19 makes us much more unhappy than gaining 20 makes us happy. It's a bit of philosophy. It's beyond trade theory. But I like behavioral economics. I like psychology. And I think while it is clear that there's an economic benefit of trading more, of having a bigger pie, I'm not sure if this will always make us more happy. That is one more reason why I'm not really into this business. I do feel strongly about not making trade unnecessarily inefficient. As a human being, I would hate to be asked to fill out a stupid paper form if it's not necessary. So there I feel strong. So if you don't want to trade, like Dan Roderick has convinced you, you don't want to do this or that, well, put up a quota, a tariff, whatever. But please don't ask me to fill out an unnecessary form. Yeah? <laughs> so, in, so our work is about reducing forms. Make trade easier. Make trade greater. Yeah? And if the mission... Yes, make trade again, make trade enjoyable, make trade automated, digitalized, easy. So then I can do other more interesting things like taking photos, going for a walk, sailing, Gambling. whatever. I, I hate. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you're really provoking it here. <laughs> no, I don't like gambling either. But yeah, but anyhow, anyhow, it would be up to me. It would be up to me if I wanted to do gambling or not. But please don't ask me to fill out a form. Jan Hoffman is pro-trade, anti-filling out forms. There we have it, the final word.
One thing we wanted to also discuss while we have you on the show is you do a lot of interesting work with haircuts. Could you tell us a little bit about, you know, what, what is the link between haircuts and trade? Why is it important? And I think also, why haircuts? Well, it's a very important empirical study that I started. Uh, where I have myself uh, gone to hairdressers' uh, saloons in 71 countries so far. I still have 10 years under my retirement, where you show that importing goods, meaning gut, is important to export services. So especially in poorer countries, you very often find that the service provider is from Burundi or Afghanistan or Bhutan, but the machine or the shampoo or the scissors are imports from abroad. In richer countries, it's the other way around. My hairdresser in Canada was from China. My hairdresser in Vienna was from Laos. My hairdresser in UK was from Barbados and some very small exotic places like on the Marshall Islands where my hairdresser is an imported person, was a Filipino hairdresser. And yes, scissor shampoo machine were also imports. And why haircuts? Well, I travel a lot except in times of uh, COVID. <laughs> and uh, you live in Geneva. You know what is a haircut in Geneva? I think a normal yep. simple haircut for gents is 45 mm -hmm. francs or something. Most countries where I've been to is actually cheaper than Geneva. So I make good use of my time. I do my empirical study. I save some money. The cheapest I had was in Lahore. It was 60 cents somewhere in the street. I gave a 75% tip, uh, which was quite outrageous and more expensive than in Geneva. It was more than $100 somewhere in Dubai, some luxury hotel. The lady got there was a French lady. How much did you tip the French lady in Dubai? On the $100 haircut. Was it the same ratio as the one in Lahore? <laughs> I, I honestly don't remember. Let me see. Let me try and bluff right now. No. It was a lot. <laughs> Very good, Artie. We've got this. We've got the series of Geneva questions. Jan lives here, so we, we. I think we need to plunge into those. So that's going to be our research. We're going to ask each of our interview guests a series of questions about Geneva. You're right, Rob. I think it is time. This is actually really what the listeners are tuned in for. So, first question: On a scale of zero to Jack Sparrow, how passionate are you about maritime trade? I'm, I'm very passionate. I, and that's if there's one thing I miss in Geneva, it's the the real sea, the open ocean. Uh, so that's. That's the one and only drawback. I, we do swim in the lake from time to time, but but maritime in the UN, in a landlord country, I have to admit, it has a drawback. The oxymoron to end all oxymorons. <laughs> so next question, Jan. Do you own a bike in Geneva? And if so, how many times has it been stolen? I own a bike and it has been stolen once when I had lent it to one of my sons. I like the fact that you just blamed it on your kids, but that's fine. <laughs> That's what, that's what we have, kids. Blame everything on them. <laughs> well, they say you're not really a real Geneva expat until you've had that first bike stolen. So I think you're one of us now. Let me come in with this one. This is, I guess, very close to my heart. Which is the best kebab in Geneva? Is it Alamir or Parfum de Beirut? I've been to the Parfum de Beirut and, and Black, so I go for that one. But I admit that I may not have tried all the options. Was it before 2 a.m. Um, that you went? Yes, it was before. It always tastes better after 2 a.m. for some reason. I don't the, know why. <laughs> <laughs> this is the issue. I, I think I've been to all of them. I just, I just don't know when or what they were called. That's, that's a little bit the problem with the kebab question. I don't think the Alamir people will be happy, but the truth hurts sometimes. 
The last one we have, your name, obviously, this, this is very important to us. We've been thinking a lot about David Hasselhoff. So have you, have you heard the music of David Hasselhoff, which apparently was popular in Germany at some point? And do you have uh, any, any thoughts? Did it inspire anything? Uh, no, no, I'm, I'm not at all to German music. I, I prefer Latin American music. Anyway, moving on. So Jan, one thing we do is a plug your stuff segment. So this is the part of the show where we ask you to tell us what you're doing or if you're selling any sort of bath crystals, Bitcoin, cryptocurrencies, anything like this. If you've got a new book coming out, this is the moment where you can plug your stuff. Selling. No, I'm, I'm only selling ideas. I like my photography. I like the haircut block. No, I'm not selling anything. I'm against any crystals. And in fact, I, I have one of these crystals around my neck all the time that, that fights against esotericism. And bad rum. <laughs> Where can people go to find you? So you've got a website, a blog, or you on Twitter. Where can people go when they want to check out your stuff? Yeah, I'm, I'm on Twitter. I, actually, what I like most is LinkedIn. I'm more active on LinkedIn than on Twitter. And then I have my own blog, which is very easy, janghoffman.life. And again, Hoffman with two Ns, janghoffman.life. Excellent, excellent. There you have it, folks. Jan, we want to thank you for joining us. It's been a super interesting discussion. Excellent, excellent. No, no, thank, thank you. I had fun. I'm really glad we got to talk about haircuts and trade at the same time. I think it'll make people who are against trade, at the very least, maybe think a little bit longer before they decide they are against it. Okay, Artie, it's time for us to revisit that segment that I think people have been waiting for, overheard at the UN Beach. These are bits of information that will help us understand the pulse of the international community. I think it's important, Rob, because you don't know information unless you get it from the source. And what better source than where people are sunbathing? And the spritz line is absolutely golden. I actually know the guy at the bar, so I have a hook up there. Is I just okay? get, I don't need the line. I don't wait on the line. Can I, I get just, more Prosecco? I send it. No. It's no, a little light on Prosecco. No. Are you, you're not going to do that for me? Heat stroke is a thing, Rob. All right, let's not let's not go down that avenue. So we've got a couple of things to talk about in particular. Let's start off with a report from the Guardian newspaper. They've reported that the UN issued a survey on racism, a good thing to do, find out what people are thinking. But they included an opportunity for respondents to self-declare as uh, white, okay, black, I'm with you, brown, okay, and yellow. Moving right along. So where I was going with this is, do you think that's a good idea, bad idea? Moving right along. Our producer is looking at me with a gun. Yeah. This, the, 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 is that the frantic waving that I'm seeing? I thought he was just saying hello. Is that, yeah. I think the, yeah, okay. The banging. It's getting louder. It's getting louder, actually. Yeah. Okay. Okay. We hear you. We see you. We can see you. I okay. think that takes us right to our new UN word uh, of the day. This is one By of my way, favorite segments. It's a good segment. And by the way, this is sponsored by absolutely nobody. That's right, folks. There's still time and space for you to push your things on our podcast. Plug your stuff. Plug your stuff. So the new word for today is resilience. What does resilience mean to you, Artie? Give me an example. Well, I'll give you a recent example. Actually, this is not a real example. It's just one that I imagine. But say, for example, I had recently put a hole in my wall in my apartment. 
Where hypothetically was that in the apartment? Um, the wall where I work from home currently next to my TV, just right at the entrance. And say hypothetically, I put a hole in that wall and my wife were to come home and she did not see this for a few weeks. And one day she did see it and I had neglected to tell her that I had gotten angry at my smartwatch, threw it against the wall and left a hole there, hypothetically. My response- it's quite a detailed uh, scenario. Well, I aim to please. My response to her in that situation would be, man, I really wish this wall was more resilient, that it could withstand somebody flinging a smartwatch at it. That's beautiful. I think that really captures how millennials can, can personalize things and bring them right down to their own. I actually put, on a, put it on an Instagram story as well. Is it there already? Hypothetically. Is it there? Uh, thanks for the input. I think you're actually not right. What it means is redescribing what you're already doing using different adjectives. Sounds like the title to the book about my life. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? I mean, I, yeah, yeah, I say yes. Or your life. I mean, for that answer, I'm going to give you a bonus. I'm going to give you a bonus now. And I, again, I want, to, I want to hear you. I want to hear you bring it home to yourself. It's a bonus UN phrase, build back better. Build back better. What does that mean to you? I mean, that's usually what I say when it's time for uh, back day when I'm at the gym. So, I mean, I'll do a lot of deadlifts. That's a big one. It's a big compound exercise. Really helps your back, your posterior chain in general. You've also got Romanian deadlifts. All, all different kinds of deadlifts. Bulgarian split squats, um, calf raises. You've got yeah. a lot of rowing is involved. So you've got Bulgarian rows. Anything Romanian from the Baltics rows. at all? No. no, no, not really. And then you've got some pull-ups if you want, but pull-ups are really not as beneficial in terms of the helping the back. The row is a bit better. But that's usually how I know. When my gym instructor says it's time to build the back better, this is usually what... That, that's kind of what we're what we're discussing. Is you that what think? you had in mind? I mean, that's that's very close. I think we're really very close there. Actually, what it means is doing exactly what you're doing already, but describing it with a different set of adjectives. So no gym? Artie, thanks for the input, but not everything's about going to the gym. We're not here at Evo Fitness or 24-hour gym. That's actually a good point to mention that if Evo Fitness or 24-hour gym wanted to advertise, this would be the perfect segment because I'm a regular customer Good. and Rob will be soon. Plug your stuff. Plug everyone's stuff. Plug the world. The right answer is build back better means doing exactly what you're already doing, but describing it with different adjectives. I'm sensing a common theme here. I think what, what I'm just trying to say is that this particular segment is fit for purpose. And we're bringing it back. The circle is complete. Very good. We've talked a little bit about global news. I know people can sometimes think that's important. It is. But let's move into this week in local news. We're going to once again dig into the tumultuous environment we're here in Geneva, Switzerland. Newsflash. Cat stuck in tree. Local citizens alarmed. Yeah. Uh, sorry, uh, my my segment. I mean, that is pr oh, now pretty good your, hook. Now, it's a pretty solid hook. Now it's your segment. It's my segment because <laughs> I think it works. Before it was my podcast. It's your podcast. But when if a segment works, it's my podcast when it's not working, and it's our podcast when we've got a gajillion subscribers, which we do. Y yeah, 
Uh, do we? I see how that works. We can edit that out, right? You the, would, the, that many subscribers. A gajillion. That's a number. We, yeah, I'm not sure we're there. Is the thing? It's a number. I got that. I mean, it, we did have some very sad news this week. You know, on the program, we focus a lot on Geneva's famous trees. It's a really important thing to both of us. This week, a freak storm ripped through Geneva and damaged a number of trees. It was hail, wind, rain, a lot of upset, emotion. In this case, it killed uh, what's been described in press reports as the most beloved tree on our side of the lake, the Rive Droite. We're not Rive Gauche? We're Rive Droite, I think. I never remember. It's when you're facing... Okay, we'll come back to that one. Local media quoted a local observer. She was very upset. She was emotional. And she said that tree had always been there. Until it wasn't. Here today, gone tomorrow. I think it's a very credible account. I can feel the sadness in the words when I read them. This is a true story. This is another uh, impact of this terrible storm. I actually got stuck in the botanical garden when I was coming to have a beer with you the other night. Maybe I didn't fully talk to you about what happened. There were signs warning of falling branches all around me. There was tape everywhere. I was stuck. Gates were being locked. But a kindly employee did come upon me, which, which did save me. That's nice. He said, you shouldn't be here. What are you doing here? I'm going to miss my bus. Come through here immediately. Pfft. Did he say that in English? He, he could no. just tell you were American. Je vais rater mon bus, etc. And pfft. Is that French? Yeah, that was that's French. Swiss Romand French. Yeah, that uh, was French. That was very good. Yeah. What else, Rob? Keep going. You're on yeah, a roll. Yeah, this is important. This, this is, is important. exciting stuff. You, you think <laughs> ah, major crimes don't come to Geneva. They Geneva don't. doesn't have that kind of thing. You're wrong. Geneva had a major drug bust. The, a local couple, a woman described as Asiatic. Better than yellow. <laughs> yellow. I think this is not a term we should be using. Was arrested with five kilograms, yes, kilograms of Mary Jane and also an enormous set of processing equipment. As one does. Here, the prosecutor went all the way and asked for nine months of prison wow. and asked to deport uh, the woman for three years. So three years, she wouldn't be able to come to Switzerland. Did she just go back to Asia? Because that's a country? Because that's how they described her? Yeah, that she goes back to Asia. Yeah. To Asiatic? As far as I know. Is that next to Atlantis? I think it's a refreshing. It, it was a very refreshing situation in terms of justice. The judge reduced it to a 3,600 franc fine. So that's uh, less than one and a half months rent. And of course, a stern warning. I mean, this kind of thing shouldn't happen. There were a couple of reasons why uh, the judge cited. First of all, the lady said she's an avid smoker, so it was mainly for personal use. Wink, wink. Uh, this could be a lot of smoking. Five kilos of the finest Geneva gold. Uh, I don't know what you're talking about. Five kilos of Mary Jane. That was actually my elementary school teacher in second grade. Also, the, about these huge amount of laboratory equipment for processing, it wasn't because she had a huge throughput. It was because she ordered one set of equipment on the internet and it didn't work well. So she had to order another batch. That sounds like these microphones. Yeah, we've got enough equipment here for an RTS studio. Finally, she said she didn't sell it much. That wasn't really a big deal. She only sold it to a few folks and only for about 5,000 francs. And only for those with glaucoma. Exactly. People who are maybe future glaucoma sufferers. 
So, and finally, a guy who's described as a Swiss, I guess that's clearer than Asiatic. Swissatic. He said he didn't know what the massive lab was for. He was just kind of helping out. And they're not boyfriend, girlfriend. It's not his fault. It's kind of like what I say in my career as a middle manager. It's not mine. I'm supportive, but it's not my fault. Finally, we of course, we've all seen this, so I, I, I hesitate to go over it again. A local user of public transport has written three letters about his local bus stop being eliminated. How many? It's actually two bus stops right near where this person lives. So one and a half letters per bus stop. I think that's accurate. I think that if you want to average it. And I think probably quite disturbing. Listeners, be careful about what I'm going to say. Only one of these letters received a response. Bum. Only one of the letters already received a response. I'm not... Only one of the, I mean, I thought uh, your eyes would go wide there. Uh, not really. I'm, I'm actually more surprised that people write letters. <laughs> I, she couldn't have sent an email, like a text, an Instagram post. She'd get it trending on Twitter or something. I thought Twitter was basically useful only for complaining about public services. Hashtag tepejik komem. So, Artie, that was from my uh, perusal of the papers this week. What have you read? Absolutely nothing. You haven't read any any Facebook? Don't you young people use Facebook anymore? No, Rob. We've moved on to uh, TikTok. And before Facebook, it was actually in between TikTok and Facebook, it was Instagram. And we're also still using Twitter, but that's only to really yell at other people. So which one of those? I mean, like Facebook primarily, I use that to stalk the girl I wrote a poem for in eighth grade. I don't know which one of your platforms would allow me to do that. I really wish you would have told me this before we talked about starting a podcast that you were stalking people. Yeah, I think it's called, I think the, today's language in your language is called following. Ah, uh, it's called okay. following. It's okay. You'll get there one day. I, I'm not going to tell you anything because, you know, we're two steps ahead of you. Then by the time you're on Instagram, I'm already on to the next thing. Uh huh. So should I write you an email on that? Maybe we can. You should write me a email. letter, actually. A letter, yeah. Just put it in the post, and then maybe I'll get back to it when I'm done living. Okay, the rest I mean, of my I've life. got a quick quiz for you. Which part of the envelope do you put a stamp on? Can I phone a friend? <laughs> <laughs> First of all, I really have no idea. Stamp? <laughs> I really have no idea. <laughs> that was that was goal. I did not. Uh, <laughs> Expect to get quite as much out of that. Did you see the panic in my eyes? Because I was like, where's my wife? I need to ask my wife. Where's my She's phone? in charge of letters. <laughs> she's in charge of everything. Lovely. Except podcasts. Except podcasts. And there she's giving us some pretty good advice. Uh, and we're done. Cut. <laughs> well, folks, that about wraps up this week's episode We'd like to thank our guest, Jan de Hoff Hoffman, for joining us and talking all things trade, supply chains, haircuts. We'd like to thank those of you who we overheard in the spritz line at the UN Beach Club. Thank you for sharing. That's right, everybody. We hope you enjoyed this episode as much as we did. And make sure you don't forget to download this episode and subscribe to catch our next episode in a few weeks. Until then, make sure you wash your hands. You know who you are, men of Scandal Bathroom. And I think we've got to close with the fact that the things we said on this podcast do not represent the views of really anybody. They were hastily put together and edited for content. and By me. by Primarily by you and in the future by an intern. 
So they are our own in the extent they are our own and do not represent any organization. Also, please feel free to share with us your thoughts on the show. Send us in things you've heard at the UN Beach, as well as things you've read in local news. You can do that by sending us emails, not letters, at trade.splaining at gmail.com. One more time, that's trade.splaining, S-P-L-A-I-N-I-N-G. Well done, Artie. At gmail.com. A grade. And I'm on a roll